Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and today we are going to be talking about overcoming our own tendency to jeopardize our journey of spiritual awakening. My guest today is Swamini Svatmavidyananda. Dr. Swamini Svatmavidyananda Saraswati is the resident Acharya at Arsha Vignana Gurukulam with several locations throughout the United States, including Atlanta, Georgia, and Eugene, Oregon. Swamini G. has taught at several universities nationally, including UC Berkeley. She is widely recognized as a scholar of Advaita Vedanta and teaches nationally and internationally, as well as being the author of the book we will be discussing today, Overcoming Self-Sabotage, in Self-Knowledge, Insights from the Upanishads. As a founding member of the Global Women's Peace Initiative, she has traveled globally addressing the ever-increasing challenges that face humanity in a global ethos. Swamini G addresses contemporary challenges facing the world from global warming to religious social unrest, in her unfolding of the Upanishads, the foundational spiritual texts of the Hindu tradition. You can look, learn more about Swamini Ji and her teaching at Arsha Vignana Gurukulam at the website Arsha, A-R-S-H-A-V-G.org, ArshaVG.org. You can also check out her YouTube channel at Svatma Vidyananda. It's S-V-A-T-M-A, Svatma Vidya, V-I-D-Y-A-N-A-N-D-A. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Swamini Spatma Vidyananda. I'm delighted you could join me again on the podcast. Thank you very much. And namaste to all. It's a delight and a privilege to be here. So before we dive into our dialogue about how we can overcome our tendency to jeopardize our own journey of spiritual awakening, let's start, as we like to begin here, let's start with a moment of present moment awareness, a yoga moment. So let's begin by bringing our attention to our body in space. Whatever we're doing, whether we're standing or sitting, walking, driving in our car, just paying attention to our bodies and noticing particularly the surfaces that support our weight. And then bringing our attention to the breath and just noticing as we take a fully conscious breath on the next inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhale, feeling the warm air 
now that it has passed through our lungs. And just continuing our focus on the breath, not trying to change the natural flow of our breathing, but just noticing. Here is something to contemplate from Yogacharya O'Brien's book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. Spiritual practice requires continual course correction. Observing our thoughts and choices reveals the trend of our life. Are we aligning ourselves with peace or chasing after future fulfillment, living a life of zeal or succumbing to laziness or depression? Making useful changes when needed is how spiritual practice moves from the theoretical to the practical, from the sentimental to the real. Making useful changes when needed is how spiritual practice moves from the theoretical to the practical, from the sentimental to the real. Oh. Once again, Swamini Svatmavidyananda, welcome to the Yoga Hour. I'm really delighted you could join us today to discuss your book, Overcoming Self-Sabotage in Self-Knowledge, Insights from the Upanishads. I, I did want to mention to listeners that I know you and Yogacharya O'Brien, the founder of this podcast and our spiritual director, have really lovely connection as spiritual friends. As most of our listeners know, Yogacharya O'Brien is the founder and spiritual director also of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. And I think many listeners to this show also may attend the, the uh, 6.30 a.m. Pacific Time daily meditation at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment and are then familiar with the Dakshinamurti, the statue that is the focus for our morning prayers and offerings. And I wanted to mention that that statue came to CSE as a gift from you and your ashram, which I think is just a lovely, it's a lovely connection. For those who are unfamiliar with him, Dakshinamurti is a representation of Shiva as the teacher of all teachers, the first and ultimate guru and the embodiment of all happiness. Today, we're going to be discussing your teachings that come from the Upanishads and how we can use those teachings in our modern day lives. So let's begin with one of the terms from your title, self-knowledge. Would you define self-knowledge for our listeners? Self-knowledge is basically the knowledge of oneself. Not the things that come and go, but that which is constant. Mm -hmm. Things that I reckon under the rubric of self includes the body, the mind, the senses, the possessions, feelings, thoughts, so many things. But all these are eminently changeable. Mm -hmm. And because they are changing all the time, catching on to any of them as the self is problematic. It causes a misidentification 
and makes one subject to grief, fear, anger, etc. So when we look at the self in what is called Vedanta or the Upanishads, which is which are synonymous, Vedanta, that which is comes at the end of the Vedas, this knowledge, it's a nearly a locational name, which is also uh, which are also the Upanishad. Uh, which Upanishad means that which gets rid of all the things, a host of sorrows that you do not want, mm -hmm. and that which makes sure that it doesn't come back. It's not just gone briefly, <laughs> you know, like you spray something on a weed killer, and then it's gone, and then it comes back two months later, ta-da, I'm here. <laughs> not like that. This is gone. And uh, it brings you to yourself, and that is the self of the self-knowledge we talk about, mm -hmm. that which never changes. And that if, if this I, if this self is outside of me, then there is no way I can understand it. It will have to be another belief-based tradition, but it does not happen to be uh, so, because one is always in touch with the self, it is one is always experiencing it, and one is always uh, with it. And if I ask you the question, "Are you here?" What would you say? Yes, I'm here. Exactly, exactly. So the question is a little surprising. So it, the answer takes a, a, a split second to come, but you are here. You, it is an undeniable presence. It's a non-negatable presence that is always constant. Yes. And it is existent, it is conscious, because that's what makes you say, yes, uh, I am here. Because when you say, yes, I am here, you are saying two things. You are certifying your existence and you're certifying the knowledge of your existence. And that knowledge of your existence is inextricably linked with the existence. Yes. And how long does this knowledge continue? All the time. Yes. Are you here now? Yes, now, yes, now, yes. And how? what is the length of now? You can't measure it, it's timeless. And this is what is Sat Chit Ananda. Sat, I am, Chit, I know I am. And that knowing is an ontological knowing which never becomes I do not know. Mm. Even if I say I do not know the Mandarin language, what I'm saying is I know I do not know Mandarin. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it is, it is limitless, which is all pervasive. Mm -hmm. And it is in the form of this consciousness, this awareness that we call the self. And that self, in the Upanishads, in the primary texts of the Hindu tradition, the, the, this self is uh, equated with God, Ishvara, the cause of the universe. Mm -hmm. And so understanding myself to be non-separate from this Ishvara is self-knowledge. Mm. 
No, it's beautiful. What a, what a beautiful um, exposition of self-knowledge. I did want to mention for listeners who may not be familiar with Vedanta that Vedanta is one of the six classical schools of philosophy that come from ancient India and that another of the six schools is yoga. So both of these traditions, both of these philosophies go system, philosophical systems go back, you know, what is it, thousands of years, and in, originally came from ancient India. In your book, you write, and I and I just love the, you know, your your um, the way that you phrase this here. You say, Vedanta is a body of knowledge that reveals the truth of oneself as whole, limitless, and free. Vedanta is a body of knowledge that reveals the truth of oneself as whole, limitless, and free. The subject matter of self-knowledge is wholly in keeping with the universal human quest to be free of the notion that one is bound by fear, sorrow, or alienation. For this reason, Vedanta is not a property of India or the Hindu tradition. For humans everywhere who wish to discover their nature as free and joyful beings, this knowledge is like a much-anticipated rain shower, filling the doubt-ridden cracks of self-ignorance and healing addictive behavioral and thought patterns. I just love that. The knowledge is like a much-anticipated rain shower. I, I just thought that was so beautiful. So as you've already mentioned, your book begins with the point that we already actually are that which we seek. As you write here, whole limitless and free and yet we identify more with the changing body and mind that is always it's always um interesting to reflect on that you know to say oh we already are that we are that which we seek why is that so difficult why do we forget <laughs> all the time and identify more with our changing uh, body and mind not that we forget because it's in keeping with so much, it, it, one craves to be that. It is that, this is, it, it is a question of what happens when there is partial knowledge. Mm. It is the partial knowledge of the rope as something lying in the twilight with three bends that makes one mistake it for a snake. I know there is something there, but I don't know what it is. Fortunately, we have the cell phone, and the cell phone has a flashlight, and then I shine the light on this snake. And then I can see that, oh, I it was a mistaken assumption. Right. A misapprehension due to lack of light. So I know that there is something but I do not know what it is. And so that not knowing what it is fully makes it a cause of fear mm. and terror, maybe even sorrow, whatever it is. So too with the self. You cannot say, I don't know, I don't know that I exist because we just went through the question, are you here? And you said, yes. <laughs> so you cannot, you cannot say, I don't know I am because you said, I just know I am. I am here, you said. Yes. You ratified your own existence, uh, existence as a self-conscious being and a self-aware person. 
this everybody can do and everybody can, uh, does this but then please do not ask the next question who are you that is what we call self ignorance i know i am but i do not know what i am or who i am and a partially known i becomes the sitting duck for identification with everything finite feelings fears sorrow tears you know all these things i am as good as my accomplishments that is a misapprehension i am as good as what i possess i am as good as how many people follow me and nowadays you can follow in so many ways on twitter and all these things <laughs> a, a young girl came to me she was about 12 and she said uh, uh, she, you know she came to me and she said can you please like me on facebook i don't have a facebook account and so i told her i said i can tell you i like you on your face why go to facebook <laughs> but that's but that's that's where we are the sense of incompleteness mm-hmm. and the sense that i don't belong nobody loves me mm-hmm. and in order to fix all this i have to become better i have to get more things i have to get more degrees i have to have a better pedigree and you know th- all these are notions and those are wrong notions because of not knowing the i fully and that is what we call self ignorance mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and that is what needs to be corrected mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so then we come to the other term in your title which is self sabotage and you write in the book however it is important to note that many of these obstacles and i put in to give it context the obstacles to understanding oneself as limitless and free of sorrow so however it is important to note that many of these obstacles are self generated to have this insight is a real blessing because if one is inadvertently setting up blocks <clears throat> to one's own liberation then systematically dismantling them is also in one's own hands so this was a very important um context for me to this word this term that you use self sabotage um and perhaps um you could say a little bit more about why you thought that was important to include in the title um in the title of your book yeah i mean you know, the, the the word sabotage means some kind of an ambush and then when it is a self sabotage one is you, you see it's almost like there is an internal split within oneself there is the student there is the person who wants to know this the person who wants to be one with that i who is free of sorrow there is the seeker there is the one who is ready to do whatever it takes to understand this and drop the self ignorance and then there is the rebellious one the one who is identified with the ahankara the i notion the ego and you know what that one wants to do that one he is pretty much happy being sad if that makes any sense <laughs> that one is happy being querulous that's that one is happy being uh, uh, afraid 
because that's all this one knows. And so this one is constantly at loggerheads with the other one. This one is stuck and completely identified with the finite, everything that is finite, the body, the mind, the senses. It says, oh, it's all this is mine, 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 mine. And I will not, you know, I will not, uh, uh, if I drop this, there is great fear that it will not be replaced by any of these promises because the promises in the Bhagavad Gita, the promises in the Upanishads, I mean, how do I know that they will come true? This is what the other side says. And so there's a constant uh, battle and this is the inner Kurukshetra. This is the inner uh, battle which is exemplified in the Bhagavad Gita as the outer battle. So there is the inner child, better to name it inner brat or a series of inner brats. And then there is the seeker, the one that is the witness, the one that wants to study, the one that wants to know. And so this one, the one that is identified with the finite, uh, uh, is constantly trying to dismantle the pursuit because of its own small fears. Right. And that is so beautifully uh, illustrated in the Chandogya Upanishad, one of the uh, uh, very uh, important Upanishads, highly regarded. Mm -hmm. And there, there are two seekers who go to the teacher, teacher of teachers, Rajapati. And they have heard him say something wonderful. Atma apahata papma. This Atma, the self, is free of any kinds of omissions and commissions. No guilt, no fear, no regrets. And they just love it. And they just want to know more about it. And then who are these two people? One is Indra, the king of heaven, uh, the king of all the devas. And the other one is Virochana, the king of the demons. Mm. And so both of them set forth. And Prajapati does not teach. It is something to note. They live there for 33 years without even knowing why they are. They go to his ashram and they're just sitting there. And usually the student is supposed to approach the teacher and ask for this knowledge. But here they are, they are just clueless. Finally, the teacher says, I have seen that you are here staying in the ashram for 33 years. What do you boys want? What do you gentlemen want? And then they say, oh, we heard you say this, etc., etc. We want to see the Atma. The Atma is you. It's not objectified. It is not an object. This is the mistake. This is one more misapprehension that people have. They want to experience the Atma as a special experience. It cannot be a special experience. Right. Everything that you experience is you. And any experience is actually dumb. It needs to be interpreted and understood. That's right. And if I understand that I am the content of the experiencer and also non-separate from the object of experience and the means of knowing uh, that which connects the experiencer with the experienced, that is freedom. That is the knowledge that we are talking about. Mm -hmm. But here there was no space to know this because there was just so much... Uh, 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 full of themselves mm -hmm. and Prajapati was not going to teach that person who was not the, these people who were not prepared and then so they, when they say I want to see the Atma he 
he, he claps his hands and calls for a big vat of water to be brought. Gentlemen, behold the Atma. And they look in the water, they twirl their moustaches, they just look at their biceps and triceps and say, Oh, this Atma is so handsome, it's wonderful. And thrilled, the demon goes away. And he, he opens a... <laughs> And he opens a guru kula where he teaches all the wrong things that the body is the atma. And then Indra also goes away because he thought, okay, my quest is finished. I got the answers. They both go away with the wrong understanding. But then uh, seeing them retreat, the teacher says, look at these fools who just went away with the surface level knowledge. May Whoever teaches this, may that teaching never see the light of day because it would be wrong. But Indra, because he has a lot of meritorious deeds, he's after all a deva, comes back. He says, wait a minute, he, you know, he, he's drinking some water on the way back from a creek. And he looks at himself and he says, oh, I'm so handsome. This Atma is wonderful. But then when he tries to put away the leaves, so puts aside the leaves to drink the water, the reflection is disturbed. And he says, Atma is supposed to be constant. I think I've been had. I have to go back. <laughs> and he goes back by himself. And that's when the teaching begins. Yes. And so this is, this is what the self-sabotage is. Warring things within uh, oneself. Yes. And Sometimes the, the side that has to just be given a pacifier and put to sleep, the inner child, who is very strong and is, it identifies the, uh, with the I notion and it fights and tooth and nail to protect the finite mm -hmm. because it doesn't know what the infinite is. Well, that was that was a great description and and certainly i've seen those tendencies in myself you know the inner child or the inner brat as you say and um roy davis um yogacharya o'brien's teacher he would say uh people do what you know you should do <laughs> which i thought was yes. such a great you know such a great saying there is a part of us that knows what we are supposed to do and yet do we always do it no <laughs> <laughs> so that is that is the uh, that is the struggle and that is the that is part of the self-sabotage that you talk about in your book so I wanted to ask you too about moksha because in the teachings of both yoga and Vedanta the goal of spiritual practice is this moksha this liberation and in Sanskrit it means freedom from striving freedom from yeah. struggle and yeah. As we, we learned, as we've already talked about uh, so far in this conversation, in the, in the teachings of yoga and Vedanta, we already have this freedom. This freedom is already ours. We are already all that we seek. And there was actually, there's even a mantra that was taught by Paramahansa Yogananda, the Soham mantra, which is, uh, again, Sanskrit for I am that, I am that. Why do you think we have such trouble accepting this? And again, if it's freedom from struggle, it's kind of ironic that we keep striving. <laughs> we keep striving for freedom from, str from struggle. Would you comment yes. on that? 
it's it's counterproductive to say the least and it is funny when we are able to look at it objectively it is extremely funny to be striving in order to not strive and in fact that is the subject matter of the upanishads how to not strive for that which is already oneself so the upanishads talk about uh letting go uh first of all they talk about these twin principles that become the uh the corrective steps to this state of affairs so what are those twin principles first is to discriminate what is it that i want i want permanence and to distinguish between the permanent and the impermanent impermanent is everything else permanent is the i that much one has to understand and then the next step is to choose the permanent and let the quest of the impermanent drop that is the dropping of the strive that the first one the first step is called viveka discrimination the second step is called vairagya letting go mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. becoming more and more objective mm-hmm. and so that's how we slowly make our way back equipped with these prerequisites for self knowledge because without these prerequisites uh this teaching will constantly be sabotaged by those elements within oneself that are still yet to gain spiritual uh, growth uh, in their maturity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so as a reminder for our listeners Today on the Yoga Hour, my guest is Swamini Fatma Vidyananda. She's author of the book that we are discussing today, Overcoming Self-Sabotage and Self-Knowledge, Insights from the Upanishads. She is an esteemed teacher of Advaita Vedanta, who teaches both nationally and internationally. And you can check out her website, arshavg.org. Arsha, A-R-S-H-A-V-G.org. You can also check out her YouTube channel, Svatma Vidyananda, S-V-A-T-M-A-V-I-D-Y-A-N-A-N-D-A, Svatma Vidyananda. Those links will be on our webpage at theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via that website, theyogahour.com, or you can also sign up for our mailing list. So Swamini G, um, if... Um, Oh, I, I liked this. Uh, <laughs> I liked this little uh, uh, example that you gave about we've been talking about striving and freedom from striving, and you write that striving to overcome striving is as futile as searching for your reading glasses that are already perched on top of your head. <laughs> that's such a great. That's, that's such a great. Such a great image. So, um, what practices? do the upanishads recommend to help us deal you already have said to to use discrimination yes uh, viveka and yes. to let go to focus on the permanent yes and to allow things to drop we don't say one has to control the desires because that's impossible that's like herding cats you can't do that and uh, we don't also say that uh, you know we talk more of desire management it's a very very important practice 
And in the Bhagavad Gita, as you know, uh, the desires are of two kinds. Strong preferences called Raga and strong prejudices called Dvesha. Mm -hmm. So these, these are what have to be managed. Managing them means converting them from having a uh, having the ability to exert the pressure on the person for immediate fulfillment mm -hmm. and that is what is management so that you convert these desires from being binding desires that bind you to do things that are inimical to your growth from binding desires you convert them into non-binding desires which many many desires fall into that category you may say oh it's just well I, I i would just love to have a piece of chocolate cake but it's not available and you say it's okay some other time many things are like that mm -hmm. that is a non that's an example of a non-binding desire mm -hmm. whereas the binding desire makes one feel desperate because of the sheer identification with it as a way of one's well-being. That's right. So the management of these and by converting the uh, binding into non-binding desires is the key. Mm -hmm. If you would you like me to, to talk a little more about how to do that? Sure. So this is uh, you know an easy way to uh, to do that is that when the binding desire strikes from the, with a, with all its force it has a bite force and then it bites and then you feel discombobulated uh, we practice one easy way uh, to let go of its hold is to practice deferred gratification mm -hmm. if i tell myself i'm never going to have this then I'll have three helpings of that. You see that very thing that I should not, <laughs> that I don't should not be having. <laughs> so we practice deferred gratification. I want it right now. No, let me do something. Let me fold the laundry, and then I'll come back and see what it is like. And then again, let me go for a walk, and then see what it is like. Mm -hmm. And many times when we change the channel and practice deferred gratification. Uh, the, 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 the desire just uh, goes away, That's at right. least for that day. And it goes away for that day because it's really not about the desire for that particular thing, but it is about a kind of a desperation which keeps attaching to various things that are, that are around. Mm -hmm. And so that is a very, very important practice of managing the desires rather than letting them manage you. In the Katha Upanishad, there is a wonderful analogy, as you know, of the chariot. The chariot allegory is there. And so the chariot has horses and the chariot is this body. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful allegory. And the passenger in, is, in the chariot is oneself and the driver is the guru, the inner guru. Mm -hmm. And the horses are the sense organs given as they are to grazing in the field of the sense objects the reins are the mind and the um, and the guru is the uh, buddhi the the intellect mm -hmm. and so uh, that's the, the, this becomes the famous picture in the bhagavad gita 
of Arjuna turning back and, uh, uh, sorry, Lord Krishna turning back and teaching Arjuna while holding the reins of the horses, aka the sense organs. This is a uh, again an analogy for desire management. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As long as the horses are uh, in the hand, then you are driving the horses. They are not driving you. Right. Yes, you, you talk in the book about um, this desire that you've been describing, this desire for instant gratification, which is difficult to manage, as you as you mentioned. And you also talked about FOMO, fear of missing out, which I thought was such an important thing to mention, because there's so much that is driven now by social media, where you mentioned Facebook, people go on Facebook. And of course, if you're having a bad day, you don't post that on Facebook, you only post, you know, the positive parts. And so lots of times we're identifying, you know, our inner self, we're comparing our inner self with someone else's, you know, outer self, which is never going to be, it's, it's never going to work. <laughs> so That's very well put. That's wonderfully put. I like that, you know, one's comparing one's own inner growth with what you see outside. That's, that's a wonderful point that you have raised. Yeah. So did you want to say anything else about fear of missing out and, and maybe even, you know, social media, we may need to have a little uh, a, fa a fast for part of the day from social media or maybe a fast for, you know, for a few days of social media. A, a cyber fast. Yes. Yeah. And just like we practice uh, with regard to the stomach, the, the, the latest trend is intermittent fasting. And we should do that with the devices as well. Absolutely. Because the more we are exposed to them, all these big, big trends, everything becomes a trend. Everything becomes, uh, what is that? Viral. Everything goes viral. And everything becomes a trend. And uh, by the time you, you follow it, it's already gone. Something else has replaced it. And, uh, and since there are many trends at the same time, there is FOMO. And this FOMO is dangerous because even when you land in the in the ashram of the best teacher in the whole world uh, still even if we, lord brahmaji were to come and teach you one would feel that oh maybe i'm missing out <laughs> maybe lord shiva might be better maybe this one or maybe i should try this out one is not able to be at peace with oneself right this right. is the problem Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this FOMO is dangerous because uh, I somehow because of FOMO, I want to have the ability which the celestials had we hear in the Puranic stories of being able to be in many places at, uh, at once. And this is just impossible because one has one, one particular body. <laughs> so you can't do this and that's why one feels worn out and exhausted even with a spiritual quest. Uh, you know, once I went to a place near Atlanta, uh, there was a, uh, every year, this woman used to organize something. And then she had a friend and who used to come and help her. And so one year I go and uh, yes, everybody was there, but I didn't see the friend anywhere. So I asked my host, where is your friend? I mean, I, I see her all the time. And she laughed and she said, this is very embarrassing, but she is swamied out uh, because <laughs> three <laughs> swamis came before you. So she's kind of swamied out. Please forgive. 
this is what FOMO does. <laughs> and I think you wanted to go and listen to each and every person and help with organizing their talks or whatever it was. And then she, she was just completely exhausted. Oh, and this is so where funny. we are. It's so funny. I've never heard that term before, swamied out. <laughs> um, so it, it does make me think about desires, though. And you quote the Bhagavad Gita in the book. You quote uh, the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 5, verse 23, which uh, says, The one who is able to master the pressures born of desires and anger here in this world before giving up their body is a yogi and a happy person. Yes. Once again, the one who is able to master the pressures born of desires and anger here in this world before giving up their body is a yogi and a happy person. Well, so what of having desires on a, you know, on, on while seeking spiritual awakening on a spiritual path, it seems as though, as you said, we cannot um, rid ourselves of desires. How do we manage this? We manage it by converting them into non-binding desires at first. So, and putting ourselves on a fast uh, in the sense that if there are 50 desires that I have today, let me just pursue 10 of them. <laughs> and let me just pursue right now what I need. Let me not go into 10 years from now, what will I need? Let me just go take it one day at a time. This is what every, this is the truth. We're dropping any addiction. This is one of the tenets of AA and all such groups. It's one day at a time. Yeah. So today I'm not going to do this. I don't know what I did yesterday and I have no idea what I will do tomorrow. But today I'm going to be free of this. And this is, this is, and it is doable. It is doable. That much uh, restraint one has some mastery. And uh, if it is not doable, then we can break it up. Okay, half a day. Okay, half a day is also too much maybe for certain very strong addictions. Okay, for two hours I won't do this. That's right. So it's hard. Yes. yes. Small things, you know, and we, uh, there is a expression in uh, Sanskrit which says, Alparambham Shreyaskaram means small beginnings are very, very auspicious. Because yeah. if you begin with a big bang, <laughs> uh, you end up in a whimper. Uh, so small beginnings can grow mm -hmm. and can be nurtured and they are manageable. And that is what we, uh, uh, that is what we practice, even with regard to these desires. And then it's also important to be able to look upon those addictions, addictive patterns, behaviors, and desires with kindness. Mm. Self compassion is a powerful antidote to self sabotage. Mm. That is a lovely, that's a lovely point there. Self-compassion is a lovely antidote to self-sabotage. That is very important. It's a very powerful antidote to self-sabotage because uh, it, it takes away the teeth. There yeah. is nothing to fight there. 
because I'm loving it up. I'm saying, yes, this is out of my power. Yes, yes it is here. So that brings in prayer. That's the next thing. Yes. It is out of my hands. And so I, I seek an altar of surrender where I can take help, where I can lay all these things in the lap of the Almighty. Mm-hmm. However, I may uh, address him or her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Um, it reminded me of <clears throat> when we start on the spiritual path, One of the difficulties is that as we become more aware, for example, of our inner processes, we become aware. It's almost like things get better. (laughs) I would get worse before they get better. You know, we become more aware. It's like, oh, I have all of these thoughts that are painful. (laughs) And it's almost overwhelming, right? Because they they don't stop. And so that idea of self-compassion being a tool of uh, to to remove self sabotage, I think is so important because then you get caught up. You know, if you're if you become sort of fixated on or you're more aware of these negative traits in ourselves, it's very easy to get very down on ourselves. But that's another form of attachment. That's another yes. form of looking at what is temporary and yes. getting attached to what's temporary. So this yes. idea of self compassion, I think, is extremely important. Yes, you have put it very well. Thank you. In your book, you share that the opening mantra of the Isha Upanishad says that everything in the universe, starting with our bodies and minds, is pervaded by Ishvara. And you go on to say that the Upanishads emphasize the salience of the body and mind in pursuit of self-knowledge. And again, as we've talked about, the body and mind are changeable. So, and yet we are, we are, you know, pursuing self-knowledge, knowledge of ourselves as that unchangeable part. So would you say more about this? Yes, it's a, uh, you have caught, uh, you have landed on an uh, important paradox in Vedanta. Vedanta is all a series of paradoxes and this one happens to be one of them. How to uh, make the changing serve the changeless, mm-hmm. serve the pursuit that is changeless. So the, the 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 changing body, the changing mind. I mean, it is it is here. The human body is here for a specific purpose. It is here uh, as a tool for moksha. That is its only purpose. Mm. And on the way, you can enjoy many things, but its primary purpose is to is is to have freedom from self loathe self-judgment, self-critic. That is what moksha is. And so, so therefore, when I use this body for that pursuit, uh, in, in, its, in the service of this pursuit, then actually it's the correct use of the body. So that's why the Bhagavad Gita and the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, all of them, uh, they first discussed how to make this, uh, convert this body from being a bhoga sharira to a yoga sharira, being, being a bhogi to a yogi. That is the journey. Bhogi means a conspicuous consumer. Like, I want that, I want that, give me this, give me this, give me more, 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 more. Yogi means the one who is wanting to join the heart with Ishwara, a devotee. 
asadhaka, a practitioner, a seeker. That is what yogi is, the one who, who wants this union. So that is the that is the that is the journey. That is the journey of uh, yoga, Vedanta, everything. So it's a journey, as I say, from ho hum to so hum. That is. <laughs> <laughs> so if I use the body for some other purpose, it is ho hum after a while. Every relationship ho hum. Every every possession that I have ho hum. Every accomplishment, ho hum. Right. Ho hum is boring. So hum is you. So hum is Ishvara. So hum is I am he. You can also say sa hum. I am she. It's a nice change. Very nice. Very nice. So since I have you here on the show, I did want to mention one of my favorite um, spiritual quotes, which is from the Isha Upanishad, which is about fullness. All of this is full. All that is full. When fullness comes from fullness, fullness remains. And there's something to me that is so calming about this idea. Did you did you want to comment on that verse? Yes, it's wonderful. Adaha means that. That means which I cannot objectify, which is remote, apparently from the standpoint of the person who is a seeker, feels remote. That Ishvara, that self, that. And this means that which I see as an effect. So everything that I refer to as this has indeed come from that. Mm -hmm. And that is limitless. And so this also shares the DNA of Satchidananda with that. Mm -hmm. That is why it is, this is full. And that's why you cannot, that's why the, the this verse, we were very important Shanti Mantra of the Isha, uh, Isha, Isha Vasya Upanishad, reminds us to not get into a place of dissociation, which is very common in spiritual pursuit. I'm not the body, I'm not the mind, I'm not the senses, and then you're just, you know, floating around somewhere. <laughs> this is very <laughs> And where would, you know, and then you you have this body, but then one wants to have an out-of-body experience, whatever that means. And so here, the, 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 when you say everything is whole and limitless, the way it is trans, best translated is to say, the body is me, but I am much more than this body. I'm not this body, but the body is me. Body is I. Body is Atma. Body is Ishvara. Ishvara is not the body. Body, mind is Ishvara. Ishvara is not the mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of a partial negation. And uh, that stops the alienation in its tracks. And that reverses any kind of disconnection uh, and uh, dissociation that I may have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why the verse is so beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I think that that is, uh, I, I love hearing your your further commentary on it. There is something about this idea of fullness has already come from fullness, right? And yet fullness remains. I don't know. There's something that I just I just love about that. It's, it's very reassuring to me somehow. And wholeness, it's wholeness has always been such an important um, 
goal for me. Yeah. And so I think that's, this is speaking of that. And, and your book speaks to that, you know, uh, the, our true nature as that wholeness, that oneness. So, so thank you for that. We've almost come to the end of our time together. What words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to leave with our listeners? I would say you are wonderful. Be yourself. That is what I would say. It is easy to be oneself. Being oneself means letting go of any inauthenticity that one may have gathered mm -hmm. in the course of one's day, in the course of life, mistakenly thinking that this inauthenticity is going to make me more whole. Mm -hmm. So we backtrack from that. Be oneself. Mm -hmm. Oh, but what if it's a, what if I make mistakes? Make many mistakes. Make new mistakes every day. Mm. Not the old ones. <laughs> the old <laughs> ones we learn. <laughs> make new mistakes because the mistakes are a gateway to knowledge and right. wisdom. Right. That's that's beautiful. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. My guest today has been the esteemed spiritual teacher, Swamini Svatma Vidyananda. She's the author of the book we've been discussing today, Overcoming Self-Sabotage in Self-Knowledge, Insights from the Upanishads. Swamini Ji teaches nationally and internationally and you can find out more about her teaching at the website arshavg.org, A-R-S-H-A-V-G.org. And you can uh, hear her, see more of her teaching on her YouTube channel at Svatma Vidyananda. We're looking forward to Swamiji's visit to the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, which will be coming in September. Swamiji will be, Swaminiji will be hosting a women's retreat with Yogacharya O'Brien. The retreat will focus on women's spiritual liberation and empowerment. Stay tuned to get more information about her visit closer to that time. We will also have her links and today's program on our webpage, theyogahour.com. Thank you so much, Swaminiji, for joining me today on the Yoga Hour. Thank you very much. This has been a wonderful experience and you are a great interviewer. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I certainly did. For listeners, we hope you will join us for the many online programs offered by the sponsor of this program, the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. CSE offers daily online meditation in the mornings at 6.30 a.m. Pacific, in the afternoon at 4 p.m. and on Monday evenings at 7.30 p.m. All times are Pacific time. We also offer a Sunday satsang. Satsang is a Sanskrit word meaning a gathering of truth seekers. That happens at 10 a.m. Pacific each week. Yogacharya O'Brien is now offering uh, a um, satsang series walk with steadfast wisdom. You can hear her past talks on her YouTube channel, Ellen Grace O'Brien, as well as on her website, ellengraceobrien.com. She also has another podcast that might be of interest to listeners of this program, which is called the Kriya Yoga Today podcast. You can find that on the CSE website and also on any of the channels where you usually get your podcasts. 
Yogacharya O'Brien will be leading an upcoming silent meditation retreat from March 30th to April 1st this year, 2023. It's an in-person retreat at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. Again, all these detail details for these programs will be at the website csecenter.org. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when my guest will be Yogacharya O'Brien for an episode titled Transform Your Life with Kriya Yoga, a discussion about what it's like to live as a Kriya Yogi. This program, the Yoga Hour, is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're enjoying it, share it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, and Christine Sote. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thank you.